Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. I am Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast, where we have uncut, honest conversations about faith, life, and ministry. Um, if you're tuning in, you're, you're, you're listening to this, and you're a, a fairly faithful listener, um, you know, uh, we appreciate and love your guys' encouragement when we meet people who, you know, listen and stuff, and you let us know what it is that you value from these conversations and, you know, what questions uh, resonate with you or uh, send in your questions to the text line. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, I, I had someone at Crown Street the other day. Really? Tell tell me that they appreciated the podcast. I didn't even know they listened. So. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I know there's, I know there's a num- number of you. One of the, I think that's one of the, maybe it's a, a unique perspective shift for us is we're used to some pretty immediate feedback when we preach. Cause we get to see who's in the room when we're giving any particular sermon. Yep. And generally you get to see how a room is responding to what you're saying. Us, we've got each other, but right. like, you know, we, we're, we're sitting in an empty room um, you know, recording these. And so we don't, we, we have no idea if anybody thinks anything, any of the jokes we say are funny or not. Um, well, at least one person this week doesn't. <laughs> so I had told you guys last week that we were at 39 subscribers, not 3,900. Yeah. And that's on YouTube, right? On YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Not 3,900, not 39,000, right. 39. 39. <laughs> um, and I was like, can we just get one more subscriber on YouTube so that we can hit the illustrious 40 mark? Right. I checked this morning and we have 38 now. <laughs> so we are very popular. <laughs> All 38 of you, we on YouTube at least, we see you. We see you. Thank you for seeing us. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're out there in podcast, audio land, we appreciate you too. Very much so. Um, yes. So, um, yeah, today I thought we were talking upstairs and we were like, what are we going to talk about? And I was reminded of a question that was kind of sparked in my mind uh, a couple weeks ago. So I was, um, you know, trying to, you know, if you were to look at my social media stuff. I, I don't, I wonder how hard it would be to peg me down because sometimes I will follow someone on social media, not because I particularly like what they have to say or agree, but because I think that their opinion or the thing that they're talking about is something I want to be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. I want to, want to hear what people in a different sphere are talking about or saying, uh, what they're thinking, get their perspective. And sometimes that's really interesting. Sometimes it just makes me want to throw my phone across the room. Um, but I follow an account um, that is kind of like a de- Christian deconstruction account. Like it's someone who I think they still have um, an element of faith, but they've gone particularly, they've abandoned some, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what they personally believe, but it seems like they've m- moved from a conservative Christian place to a different place, and they're often encouraging people in that journey. And they made a post, and they asked this question of, what are some of the things that you've learned about the Bible since you started your deconstruction journey? Post your answer down in the comments. And 
I was like, ooh, I'm interested to hear what people are saying. Like, what is it? What are the big revelations that people are having about the Bible that's like part of their deconstruction journey? Mm-hmm. And I went, I looked down at the comments, and I got to tell you, Cameron, I was, for the most part, pretty um, unimpressed. Yeah. Like, I like I don't want to say that in like a degrading way, I but I, but I was just like, oh, these are things I th- agree with. Right. I had seen a similar post like that. It might even be the same page. And I was like, I was reading through some of the, the answers and I was like, I'm actually kind of encouraged. Right. That's the position that you're now holding. Yeah. That, that, that's how I would preach that text. Right. That's how I understand that word. And it left me with an interesting question that I kind of want to pose to you. Maybe we can go and I pulled that post up. Maybe we can look at that for some examples at some point. But it led me to a place of thinking, is there, has there been a shift? Are we part of a shift? By no means am I suggesting that we are like the thought leaders in any sort of movement or something like that. But is there a shift that's happening in preaching or are we part of like a different way of preaching than maybe past generations because i was like uh, like thinking about kind of tim Mackey and the bible project uh, you come to conduit you've probably heard cameron and i recommend the bible project as a deeper resource for study um, at some point we use some of their video resources and stuff and we both enjoy their podcast and materials and they have a very literature way of reading the Bible. Yep. They they like to read the Bible as literature as part of their hermeneutic, along with some other things. They have some other key hermeneutics, including Christocentric. Um, but do you feel like that is a shift that we're a part of? Is that kind of a difference from maybe preaching in the past? Or do you feel like maybe these people are just kind of reacting to just poor preaching like what what's your kind of thought on the on the whole state of that are we doing anything are you and i different <laughs> than like because uh, i was like so surprised that this was not something that some of these conclusions i was like what do you mean you didn't think that you had a different conclusion than that like yeah yeah i'm curious about your thoughts so i would say that we are different. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I say that with some hesitancy because like you, like you, like you mentioned, don't consider myself to be like on the cutting edge of any type of um, methodologies in pastoral ministry or preaching. Yeah. But I do think that there is a difference between pastors who are willing to deal with the context of a to deal with the context of the scripture honestly mm-hmm. in the midst of their preaching and to let the unanswered questions or the nuances of scripture like be aired out i think there's a difference between people who are willing to do that which i generally think that we are willing to do um and those who take a very literal face value mm-hmm. non-nuanced 
um, almost surfacey approach to scripture and um, preach it as if it is the only and primary understanding of that scripture Mm -hmm. or of that piece of theology throughout history, Mm. throughout time. I think that's probably, that may be even more significant is that um, although I think that there are certain aspects of theology that are pretty well, not pretty well, fully established yeah. as this is Christian theology. Right. This is Christian belief, Christian thought and doctrine. But there is also a large chunk of biblical theology. Mm-hmm. That is not as clear as we want to always make it, right? And I don't think that there are a, I don't think that there are droves of preachers who are willing to say, this really isn't too clear. Hmm. So um, let me give you the perspectives. Yeah. And through the you know even the process of discernment right because a lot of uh, i mean honestly i think just a lot of pastors they want to pound the pulpit and say this is god's word yeah this is what it says and they're not willing to and this is what it means mm-hmm. and this is the only way to interpret it or apply it yeah and It's just not all that clear, mm-hmm. you know. Um, even you know, like I'm maybe a little bit because it's fresh in my mind. Um, we're just finishing up this series on eternity. Yes, yeah. Part of the, you know, and I mentioned this in preaching that part of the difficulty in preaching on things of an eternal nature, or even like the second coming of Christ and mm-hmm. the end times and new heaven and new earth and all of these things is that um there's a lot that's that we don't know yeah the, and there's been a lot of movies made about it seeming right. like we do know right so like for instance there's a lot of confusion about satan mm-hmm. the antichrist the beast the dragon and the woman oh yeah the harlot uh-huh all existing in Revelation, mm-hmm. right? Who, what are they exactly? Who are they? How, like, what? And then, um, if you've ever read the, if you've ever read Revelation, you'll see that there are some very interestingly described creatures. Mm-hmm multiple heads and eyes and wings yeah. and um and were people with swords people eating things with brass feet with clay feet yeah you know with um uh trumpets seals, monsters coming lamps. out of oceans and seas yeah. like so and then you'll You'll, for instance, and this is not a knock on the man, okay, but you'll 
you'll see that, like, for instance, David Jeremiah, mm-hmm. kind of a popular preacher and, yeah. you know. Largely faithful. Yep. Yeah. Has like a 50, 50 um, sermon, 50 sermon sermon series mm-hmm. on Revelation where he connects the imagery of Revelation to certain very specific historical moments, yeah. historical persons, historical nations, mm-hmm. so as to so as to proclaim that this is look, this people, this is really clear what this is. Mm-hmm. And he or is if, or if you read the Left Behind series when it was really popular. Right. That the rapture was that's the only way to understand the rapture yeah the rapture is actually a pretty good example of all this Mm -hmm. that it's just assumed that there will be a mass disappearance of christians Mm -hmm. where if you read about the doctrine of the rapture i don't know how familiar you are with the historical doctrine of the rapture just how long it's been in existence i mean the modern exam- understanding of the rapture is pretty new. Very new. Um, yeah. You know, very, very, yeah. very new. So, meaning, when we say new, we mean like, you know, Martin Luther, John Wesley, John Calvin, the reformers would have been like, the what? Yeah. The rapture? Well, right. People disappearing? Yeah. What are you talking about? And the apostles certainly would have been like, heh. Um, you know, so anyway, um, feels like I'm saying a lot without saying anything. Well, you're giving an example of a thing that is sometimes we, we have many popular preachers, mm-hmm. many popular books and or movies that take particularly end times, revelation, prophecy, apocalyptic literature, and then one-to-one parallel it to our current contextual reality and say, see, this is it. This is so obvious. The Black Hawk helicopters or the locusts or whatever. Um, and mm-hmm. the thing is, is, well, that's, that, that is, that is not as easy to draw those parallels as you might think. Yeah. Or a forest fire is God bringing, Judgment, judgment to men, you know melt the elements like it says in yeah. or second peter you yeah. know um so to come back to the original like yeah question is that i feel like a lot of a lot of it is a willingness we are different in the way that i think we hold a willingness to be honest about what is clear and what is not what is primary and what is secondary? Yep. And where I, whereas I don't think that that's the case with all pastors, and they preach a um, just a rabid authority, not even of the word, but a rabid authority of their interpretation mm-hmm. and application of the word. Yeah. Creating in a lot of people a theological straw man mm-hmm. um, that does not stand up under really does not stand up under deconstruction at all. Yeah. So, 
Well, I, what you're talking about is brought like a passion, little passion point up uh, that since we're uncut, I'm going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I started dating my now wife uh, right around when the Ukrainian war started happening, mm-hmm. Russia invaded and all of that. Yep. My wife is Ukrainian. And so there's some personal connection to people who are in Ukraine and all of that. And I remember uh, being shared a video of a well-known pastor um, with a pretty big platform. And he made this very slick video. Uh, He's kind of like someone's on a camera kind of giving him a handheld kind of thing. And he's talking and he starts off talking about this, the Ukrainian, the conflict in Ukraine. And then, you know, I'm kind of like curious as to where the, where is he going to go with this? Like, is he going to talk about humanitarian efforts? Like the fact that the world's broken, like what is he going to offer any condolences or sympathy for people who are experiencing suffering in the middle of all of this? And he very quickly just begins to take, like, I believe it was a revelations passage and say, well, this is this, this is this, Russia is this, da, da, da. And he made the comparison and then he just took what was, you know, a lot of people's very real current ongoing suffering and used it as a preaching point to prove his, his interpretation of revelation and that you should tune in on Sunday and listen to his whole new sermon series that he was coming up with. Cause he felt that like it's a coming, mm-hmm. the end's a coming. This, this conflict proves it. Sure. Um, and you know, you talk about people using the Bible, creating these straw man, making things seem clear when they very much aren't clear. Mm -hmm. Like, and how that can be really tone deaf, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Because I think you could kind of tell that whoever had written that script, whether that was him or someone else, like wasn't writing with the idea that someone that like Ukrainians would be hearing this. Right. He was writing it for people who don't have any skin in the game, don't feel any hurt or pain or concern about people who are experiencing any suffering. He, there, he was. It was written for people who were very detached mm-hmm. and are kind of like, oh, it's a thing that's happening over there. And mm-hmm. we get to just play with that and plug that into our end times clock mm-hmm. that we're constantly adjusting. Mm-hmm. And it kind of lost all pastoral relevance, at least in, in my hearing. Mm-hmm. Um so when you talk about people kind of using, um, doing that, that's kind of a, that's what strikes me Yeah, is that. Um, so yeah, there's definitely this temptation, like you said, to pound the pulpit with, um, with surety over particular like interpretations, understandings when the Bible simply doesn't that underneath good hermeneutical study and interpretation yeah, at least not of everything no I mean, yeah there there are things that you know like i said we believe are well established mm-hmm. and i think we've talked about it before here we could talk about it again is the creeds are a good example some of the main creeds are a good example of the theology that's been kind of well established as immovable mm-hmm in terms of its um, 
in terms of it's like, okay, but you you want to pound the pulpit, you can pound it about the divinity of Jesus. Right. You can pound it about the triune nature of God. Or, or the nature of the gospel. Or the nature of the gospel, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, or the existence of the church or uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit or whatever, you know, but um, yeah, pounding the pulpit about um, that the U- current Ukrainian war is, there's a direct correlation to the book of Revelation. Hey, there may be. Right. Right. But um, it has not been made clear to us in scripture that that's the case. Mm-hmm. So it's conjecture at best. Mm-hmm. So the end is the end coming. Yeah. The end has been coming and drawing closer and closer since the day that Jesus ascended back into heaven. Mm-hmm. It's we're closer now than we ever have been. Um, but it, kind of pound the pulpit around, like, yeah. I guess, about the right things. And I think, again, going back to the original question or the original like conversation, I think that's, for me, what feels like a primary issue for people in a deconstructive mode, especially around the Bible, is that they've been taught that certain things are non-negotiable Christian theology through and through. You can't get away from it. This is just how it is. This is what you must believe, where the about everything, 100% mm-hmm. comprehensive. Yeah. And um, it's just not, I, I don't believe that it's that clear. I don't believe that it's that dogmatic even. Mm-hmm. So. Um, do you think that is because, do you think that we are in in the space that we are because we are currently a non-denominational church? Do, no. Do you think that would be different if, we were more associated with a more strict line of theology through a denomination. I don't think so. No, because I I haven't really, um, I don't at least personally speaking, I haven't really moved too much in my perspective on that mm-hmm. since coming from a denominational structure that had a had a written you know like yeah. theology. Um, I haven't changed. Uh, much in that position at all since coming out of denominationalism into non-denominationalism. Um, I, I, there probably is things that I've changed on, but I, I think it's more been a change methodologically than it has been theologically. So, mm-hmm. um, no, I don't. I don't think that we're. No, I, I don't think that we're like that because of our non-denominational. Yeah. Or we would be different if we were in a, a denomination. I think we would be different if if you or I were more maybe uh, I don't know, but maybe I won't speak for you. I guess I I found my I find myself in a place where like I'm not able to very easily pick up one systematic theology book and say, oh, this is my theology. Yep. We don't. I don't have a systematic. I have systematic theology. It's not, I'm not saying I don't have systematic theology, but I don't have a singular structure of systematic theology mm-hmm. that fits neatly. I'm, I can't say that, like, um, when I was looking for a job, uh, s- there was a church I was talking with, and I think they got maybe a little bit frustrated because maybe I was being a little obtuse or obstinate, but 
They wanted to find out. Dodgy. If, dodgy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they wanted to find out if I was a Calvinist or an Arminian. Mm-hmm. And I... Said yes. <laughs> yeah. He said they like gave me a passage. And they're like, what do you think this is talking about? And it had the word predestination in it. And I essentially, uh, I read the context of the passage and didn't talk about predestination because I didn't think that was what the passage was talking about. And then they like replied back and they're like, could you just tell us if you think you're, you're a Calvinist or not? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they were, I was like, well, you asked me what the passage meant. I told you what the passage meant. Right. Um, <laughs> so I might have been a little Pulled cheeky. Pulled the curtain back on that one. Yeah, yeah. I might have been a little cheeky. But I don't fit, you know, if you 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 were to try and get me to commit to Calvinism or Arminianism, I, I don't know anymore at this point. Because I've, I've largely left those categories behind because they weren't helpful. Um, and, and no, well, even like, cause modern day Calvinism is not very John Calvinish. No. <laughs> right. Like that whole, uh, young, restless flannel and reformed that like, I, I was a big part of my faith journey at one point, like barely reformed, like reformed in certain ways and very much not reformed in several other ways. Like reformed as if you're listening or watching reformed as in a kind of a branch of, Theological, theological persuasion. Right. Yeah. yeah, kind of reformed, referring to like Lutheranism, John Calvinism, Zwingliism, mm-hmm. like the Protestant Reformation, mm-hmm. some of the theological convictions that came out of that. And there's, you know, parts of that I identify with and parts that I don't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Do you think that's similar for yourself? I think so, yeah. I think that it's been... It's just made more sense for me throughout the course of my study of Scripture to pull certain aspects of systematic or biblical theology that I that resonate with me or feel right for me or that I see as like, okay, I, I see that in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And then there are other others that I'm like, well, okay, so like just you take one – take one theologian for instance and they have this to say on the area of in the area of um soteriology or salvation Mm -hmm. and i'm like okay yeah i i can really vibe with that but then you take that same author and you read their eschatology or the theology of the end times and i'm like yeah i don't i don't see that Mm -hmm. i don't i don't i'm not sure i can get on board with that so it has been a little bit of like a a la carte mm-hmm. theology, yep, um, informed by many perspectives, but not adopting any one theological perspective as one hundred percent my own all the time. Even if it was, um, like all John Wesley, or you know, but there's certain there's certain like systematics that I like more than others, right? Like I think kind of the probably the systematic theology that every pastor has on their shelf is you know which one I'm going to say right yeah is Wayne Grudem's right. systematic theology like if you want a big thick book to get some fairly quick mm-hmm. theological referencing done in I don't know that you could do better than that right yeah I don't know that cuz it's it does broadly cover and it is broadly evangelical right but if I were to say, like, 
a systematic theology that I'm going to be probably agree with more of it, mm-hmm. I would probably pick Stanley Grenz's, G-R-E-N-Z, mm-hmm. Stanley Grenz, Theology for the Community of God, as a systematic that I felt or think was a little bit more, felt more right to me. Yeah. yeah. Sits more in line with your, not just intellectual, but... You you told me about that. That feels like a pretty applied systematic yes. theology too, right? Which is like the danger of of systematic theology is because in case you're curious, what when what we're saying when we say systematic theology instead of just theology, okay. systematic theology as a study of its in itself um, is typically a it's usually a combination of Bible, history, and philosophy, mm-hmm. right? Those seem to be at least the three of the main primary sources. And so when you're putting together like a conclusion of something in like you're trying to say like, you know, what's the, what's our theology around baptism? Well, you're going to Look at what the Bible says. Look at what the church has said historically, um, you know, and all of that. And so it's kind of, um, but sometimes that can kind of lead into kind of a complex way where you start. You can get a little heady. You can get a little theoretical inside of systematic theology because you're talking about like philosophy and you're maybe making some leaps to answer questions that maybe the Bible wasn't trying to answer. Um, Yeah, I I think that the benefit of systematics is that it creates good referencing. Yeah. You know, so if I were to tell you to, okay, just open your Bible and go to the the section that talks all about salvation. Mm -hmm. There's not a section that talks about salvation because the Bible isn't written in order to be a reference book. Yes. It's narrative in form. It has, uh, or there are parts of it that are narrative in form, or there are letters or long excurses that are not, they were never meant to be, and it was never meant to be an instruction booklet or a reference booklet for Christian things. Um, so systema- what sy- systematics does is it works really hard to compile all the information that the Bible has, biblical theology, all the Bible has on a particular theological topic and put it in one chapter. So you, you can read it. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's really strong in its ability to help us weed through and use as reference. So mm-hmm. I wanted to pull up a couple of the comments from that post that kind of like people's you know, uh, thing about the Bible that they're kind of learning and they're deconstructing and just kind of like talk maybe offhand about a couple of these. Um, this one is, was an interesting one. Uh, let's see. Uh, that the word for man in Genesis was actually more like human creature, not a word ever used for man in Scripture. And when God took the rib to make the man a companion, was actually the word for side, like the whole side. Man and woman 
were the Hebrew ish and isha, which, and, and two sides of one thing, not man first and woman second as a diminutive. Yep. Yeah. I don't know anything about the Hebrew, but uh, yeah, if you understand the passage correctly, they're co-heirs of yeah. creation co- and co- image of God. Co-image bearers, right. Co-image bearers. So what would you think would be the thing that she's deconstructing? Probably some pretty hardcore complementarianism. Or authoritarianism. Or authoritarian, complementarianism masquerade, or authoritarianism masquerading as complementarianism. Yeah. Like this mm-hmm. idea of like, oh, well, the woman... She came second, and she, she came, came out of man, so she's obviously right. not as good as man. And well, and she ate the apple first, right. so you know that makes her worse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so like, yeah, to not diminutive. No, women. not at all. It's never anyone who's been who can do or is willing to do the. That's not even really hard work to do. That's that's pretty basic in in Hebrew language and in the type of poetry that the creation account is that it wasn't necessarily a diminutive um creation of a lesser being than the man who was meant to serve the man mm-hmm. right but someone to be alongside a co-image bearer right so well there was a there was an interesting i i actually do remember hearing this at some point in my bible educate not not my adult Bible education, but as a kid, either in a sermon or Sunday school class or something. Um, there's the story of Deborah, the judge in uh, the Old Testament. And one of the things that is, I think somebody probably came up with this explanation, said it in a sermon, and it has just been so repeated. Um, but I've heard the explanation that, like, well, Deborah, this woman, became a judge of Israel because there were no godly men around to be a judge. And so God had to use a woman. And I've heard that, I know I've heard that in least in a sermon or something. It was something that was taught to me as a mm-hmm. kid. And you go back and you look at the passage, there is absolutely nothing there that says anything close to that. Right. Doesn't say anything about like Deborah being right. the last string person that God chose or right. something like that, or that it that there had to be some sort of special circumstances for God to use a woman as a judge. Like it's not there. That's not in the right. passage. No, not at all. That's Mm-mm. someone reading a conflict into the passage that's simply that's not simply there. Simply not there. Yep. Uh this one's an interesting one, uh, that Proverbs never describes our Western cultural practices of spanking children. There's no biblical spanking because it is never mentioned or described. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the de- what, what, what is someone deconstruction? Deconstructing there? They're deconstructing probably, you know, spare the rod. And spoil the child. Right. Right. You must spank your kids right. in order to um, teach them a lesson. Because if you don't, right, they're not going to fully understand the gravity of what they've done. Mm-hmm. Right? And so a scripture is used to justify the act of spanking. Right. Um, and this is not, I, I don't have a, you know, I, this is not a personal interpretation on spanking or not spanking. It's just that, okay. Is it in the Bible? 
Um, well, no, not really. Right. You know, um, I've heard the same thing said about um, Proverbs 31. And uh, and to, to what to what level is it describing the um, a contempt, the contemporary context or the the um, the goal for for women for who women should be mm-hmm. yeah, but well in the proverb like spoil the rod spare the rod spoil the child is also poetic language mm-hmm. like it's meant to convey like there is absolutely room to hold that verse and say oh spare the rod is a metaphor for sparing all discipline all discipline yep it does not necessitate necessitate a corporeal physical punishment an actual using an actual rod rod right yeah. mhm i see like like we started out by saying these things seem too, so simple and basic to you and i they to do. you and i but that, I just don't think they are across the board. I mean, yeah, pastors want to pound the pulpit Talk with about. with authority. See, what they want to do is that they want to preach with authority, mm-hmm. rather than um, rather than preaching the authority of the word. Yeah, they want to be the source of authority that's bringing the word. Um, rather than allowing the word to speak for itself, or they have a particular conviction that they want to make, not secondary, primary. They want to make it primary, right? Or they don't believe that there are primary and secondary convictions, right. which I think is really is pretty prevalent. Mm-hmm. That all the things that they believe is the only way to believe it, right. and there's no secondary opinion on how to believe a particular thing. Yeah. Well, I, I, I find it so sad because I don't, I, like, I find it sad that people are, what seems to be just like good reading of scripture is like a, like that shouldn't be a reason, hopefully, to like abandon your faith altogether. Mm-hmm. Right? Like just because someone misused scripture when they were teaching it to you at some point and they, you know, potentially caused harm because of how they were teaching scripture to other people and or to you and what they were trying to get you to believe about yourself or your situation. Like, you know, that's, that's really sad, mm-hmm. but it's, it's even more sad that like in discovering good, uh, biblical interpretation, you might be tempted to also just leave the Bible behind because right. you found that, oh, the, these things that were being taught to me as absolute are not absolute. Well, I think what it does is it just it calls into question whether or not you can trust what the person in front of you is saying. So we are guilty by association of title. Mm-hmm. Even though we may believe that we or take, take a very honest approach towards Scripture, because we are pastor, and that person was pastor, we are guilty of the same things. you know. And they may find out somewhere down the line that we were just trying to push our own particular agenda as well. So Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, I feel like that's a really uphill battle that all faithful pastors have to fight 
Yeah. In this current yeah. time. Well, quite, quite honestly, like I don't, I don't feel particularly convicted to fight the battle mm-hmm. head on. I feel like if I just need to continue to preach the word as faithfully and as honestly as I receive it from the Lord and that the Holy Spirit will do the work of sowing it into the hearts of those whom it needs to be sown into. And like those he does, those it doesn't get sown into, it doesn't. And it's not really the faithful proclamation of the word is my responsibility. And that's where kind of it starts and it ends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Kind of the trusting, trusting the fruit to God. Yep. Doing the work, mm-hmm. being, being assured that the faithfulness of showing up and doing all of that is, you know, is what God's calling us to. Mm-hmm. Um, This someone here on one of their comments was just that the Bible isn't fully literal. True. True. It's like people some like sometimes people come and they'll ask the question of, well, do you preach or do you understand the Bible literally? And I like to be snarky and say, I preach it literarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um you know, like, cause the what, what's there's like there's a there's a psalm that everybody always likes to talk about. It's the I think the, uh, there's a psalm in the Bible that says the sun rises mm-hmm. or something like that. And we know that scientifically the sun doesn't rise; the Earth rotates. Right. Um. Well, it's a psalm, so it's a poem. Mm-hmm. Do we need to then? Like, if we t- believe the Bible literally, do we need to say, well, science is wrong and the sun sun does rise? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's uh, it's a geocentric world or universe. And, mm-hmm. you know, disregard science because we're going to take the Bible literally and not, you know, say that there's room for the Bible to be a literary piece, that it's speaking in poetic language with the knowledge of the time and, like, all of that. Like, yeah. Or something like, Luke, when you get to heaven, are you going to are you gonna enjoy having a conversation with the prodigal son? No. No. Why not? Because he didn't exist. Because he didn't exist, right? <laughs> Jesus taught in parables. Yeah. Made up stories mm-hmm. to display or to communicate a spiritual reality. Yeah. The Good Samaritan, a parable, right? The Prodigal Son, uh, a parable. Was the lesson real? Absolutely. Yeah. Was there an actual son that left? I'm sure somebody. Somewhat, somebody did, but Jesus wasn't referencing a specific person that he knows. Yeah. You know. Um, so is the Bible literal? Well, if that's a literal question, then it's literally not literal. Right. If you want to ask the question, do you take the Bible seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Within its literal context. Right. When the Bible decides to be literal, 
We take it literally. Exactly. When it's that's a good way to put it. When it's meant to be metaphorical or symbolic. Or symbolic. Right. Talking like, back about dragons and harlots and beasts and exactly. Yes. Yeah, I don't know that. I don't think we should expect a yeah. physical and, beast to come out of the ocean. I and mean, maybe, maybe we will. Maybe. But what we, that's that's part of the, that's part of the point is that yeah. when we don't know, we don't pretend like we do. Yeah. Right. Because well, I can't pretend to know that nuclear subs are the beast that was coming out of the water in Revelation. Like. Right, and we allow. We allow our we allow our theology to be in to like be held by faithful mystery in the areas that we don't know. Yeah. Like I don't know about the end times. I know what I know because of what Jesus said and the rest of the scripture was clear on. Yeah. Um, but I don't know what I don't know. And so what I don't know, I just been like, well, I'm pretty sure God's got it figured out. I I trust that when Jesus returns, I'm going to be caught up in the air with him after the dead in Christ rise first. Second Thessalonians, right? And pretty sure that when I'm with Jesus in the air, um, I'm going to be just fine. Yeah. That's all I got to know. Yep. Not going to miss it. Not going to miss it. Nope. Well, um, yeah. That was a, I think that was an interesting discussion, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I think if you're listening and you, um, I don't know if you've got, you can always send us Bible questions. Um, yeah, that'd be great. That's, <laughs> that's honestly actually probably our area of expertise, right? right? Yeah, um, so we'd love to talk about stuff like that. Yeah. So if you've got like passages or maybe there's passages that maybe you thought meant one thing and as time's gone on, you've kind of like, oh, maybe that doesn't mean what I thought it meant. You know, send Mm -hmm. us those questions. Uh, Let us know what you thought about some of the stuff we were saying today or if there's anything that you'd be interested in hearing more about. Um, Yeah. Like and subscribe. Send us messages. Send us messages. 716-201-0507. That's our text line. Yep. And we'll answer any questions that you have. Yeah. As much as we're able to. Yes. As much as we're able to. That's for sure. Thanks for listening and watching. Yep. Um, let's get to 40 subscribers, people. Come on. If I come back next week and there's 37, I might quit. <laughs> oh. All right. We'll see you all next time.